hey guys uh so i just want to note there's there's going to be some strange stitchings in this podcast we ended up um with with one of our restricted zoom rooms that kept running out of time over and over again uh so so we we actually we went through four rooms uh in in the recording of this podcast we had to keep you know uh, going to the next one um so hope you know bear bear with us here it it, it hopefully should all make sense to stitch together but if you're like what did they cut out like it was literally the room closed on us uh so so um so yeah bear bear with us but with without further ado on onto the podcast uh and and frankly the same goes for the next podcast too because we're splitting this into two parts uh because it was so such a intensely interesting conversation that we just could not stop talking uh um but yeah catch you catch you in the in the in the podcast in the real in the real episode live with with peter and isaac who peter is still here while i'm recording this <laughs> not recording this in my spare time i'm recording it right afterwards <laughs> um yeah see you guys there more inflation what a stupid sound of it What's up, everybody? We're welcome back. Welcome back to another podcast. This is our fifth one. It's a very celebratory episode, um, but not just because of the number, but we also have a guest this time. Um, so, well, I'm I'm Ethan. Uh, in case you know, in case you guys missed the first four, and um, and I'm Peter, and uh, I'm excited to announce our guest, uh, recent graduate of Connecticut College, Isaac Moskowitz. Uh, you might know him as a lead singer from A minus, and he's here to sing a song for us. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first one is um, it's a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> we got we got we got the uh, the SNL format. We got the uh, the podcast and the band. Exactly. Exactly. No, we're actually uh, making this. We are making this a full Supreme Court episode. So we'll be discussing five cases. Yes. Um. Because I don't know, I don't know. Do you guys hear any of recent cases? Apparently, a lot of people, uh, you know, had had passionate feelings about the decisions. Many important ones in the last few weeks, but maybe I could have missed. I could have missed. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could have missed missed them. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'm gonna get these. Wait, wait. Let me get let me get a few things out of the way. Usually, I say this at the end of the podcast, and I realize probably most people don't hear that part. <laughs> first off, first off, guys, subscribe to the Contrarian. Read every article, begin writing a ton of <laughs> articles for us. Recommend us to your friends and to your family. Um, comment if you have maybe, thoughts on the article. Yeah, yeah. Comment if you have thoughts on the article. Uh, try to try to keep it respectful, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely uh, engage engage in the, in the contrarian. Write for us. Read some of the articles if you want. Um, tell 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 the homies about it but yeah but yeah let's get let's get into it i'm i'm excited for this for this I'm happy, to, I'm happy to be here that we are happy to have you isaac thanks for coming thanks for coming i'm yeah uh yeah no i'm i'm psyched um yeah i actually wait i know i know we agreed to talk about um 
you know, Dobbs first, but I actually just want to ask, like, does anyone have a particular, like, stance on um, constitutional law? Like, Peter, I know you are probably originalist, right? I, I think that's probably the term to best describe, describe me. No, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I, Isaac, do you, do, you, uh, do you swing one way or the other on that? Um, I guess I don't know enough about constitutional law to, like, give myself, like, a name, you know, like an originalist or, like, the other side, I guess. Yeah, right. But I definitely, I definitely uh, push back on a lot of points made by originalists, um, especially the claim that it's kind of like the one, like I hear this a lot, it's kind of like the one true way to interpret the Constitution, which I think is kind of silly because the that's the point, that's why we have courts, yeah. right? That's why we have the Supreme Court right. is to interpret, um, you know, what is best for society at the time, what they thought that the framers thought to begin with. I think there's a lot of things that need to go into your interpretation of the constitution other than what's literally on the paper or else I don't yeah. think, also we wouldn't have a Supreme court, right? we wouldn't have any courts if it was, if it was that easy. Right. I, that's a great point. Um, and I think like, I think too, like the constitution itself, it actually has like a lot of, vagaries in it that kind Absolutely. of like there isn't really one true way or at least like it's not necessarily set in stone what is the one true way to interpret it because it is kind of vague in a lot of spots or a lot of areas and two like like you mentioned like um of the times and everything like there are a lot of things that exist today that there was no way to know was going to exist um back in you know the the late 1700s um so they're not a lot of things aren't explicitly mentioned in in the constitution at all and i guess i guess i mean i guess like some of that stuff probably open to the legislators but if it like really has to do with like a certain thing in the constitution or something like that i guess you know we have to have some people to try to like help figure that out in some cases um yeah i, yeah. I agree hash out what's appropriate for 2022 yeah. and i definitely i definitely um can see the perspective of the originalist in seeing um the wisdom of the founders in that there are things that do not change throughout civilizations um yeah. and obviously these people were um philosophers and well-read historians right and so they were very knowledgeable about right. um, the ebbs and flows of different societies and so there are things that we should look for them look uh through them. look at them for but also we really do i think we really do need people to look at the present time we're living in to pick and kind of pick and choose like what they were right about because there were there were there's a lot they were right about but also what needs fixing yeah right and i, I right. think a lot of this ambiguity comes from the ninth amendment because uh a lot of the founders were hesitant hesitant about creating a bill of rights because they're like well if we make a list of rights then we forget about something something that's very simple then will a lot of people consider that will future governments consider that not an intrinsic right so they created the ninth amendment which said right. the rights granted to the american people do not have to be listed in the bill of rights or the constitution in order to be a guaranteed right so that's i think that's where a lot of the amb uh, ambiguity comes from what is the 10th amendment then? 
Tenth Amendment is that the powers which are not delegated to the federal government uh, go to the states or the people. Yeah. So then the, the those are kind of similar then, right? It's like a similar theme, except yeah. individuals and tenth is with state legislatures. Exactly. That that they were both created uh, by the movement of the anti-federalist uh, in an attempt to restrain their power and make sure that uh, they would not interfere with either the rights of the state or also the rights of you know simple things like the right to travel that they wouldn't think to like write down because when you start you start writing uh, down things that need to be rights and you end up making a 125 page uh, document so yeah yeah. So, jump right into it. Yeah. Uh, I guess sure. us, uh, the one that's caught the most attention uh, is Dobbs v. Mississippi. Um, the decision was not a total surprise because it was leaked a few months earlier. Um, but essentially the court overturned Roe v. Wade and parent, uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey uh, ruling, uh, sending the question of abortion back to the states saying that there is no uh, constitutional protection of abortion. Um, either you guys want to voice voice your voice your thoughts. Yeah. On opinion? yeah. Well, I want to say one thing before we really get into it. One thing I think is funny is yeah, you you mentioned how it wasn't really much of a surprise um, to anyone because it was leaked a few months earlier and it was pretty much expected that that would be the decision. Um, it kind of like, like to a lot of people, it almost like felt like a surprise. It was kind of funny. I, I saw, you know, a fresh slew of infographics online. Like it was kind of treated almost like as a new thing. And, it was, and the weird part about it is that it like totally disappeared for like a couple weeks after the leak. And then it like came back in full force in the decision, which like makes sense, I think. But I don't know. It was, it was, it was interesting to see like how it almost felt like it was reacted to as, as fresh news. Um, it's almost they're saying uh, modern politics is reactionary. That can't be though. There's, there's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it's, that, that, is... no, that, that couldn't be. That couldn't be. <laughs> never, <laughs> never. I don't think it necessarily went. I don't think there was necessarily radio silence on the matter because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were talking about it. Um, I think that the relative um, feeling of helplessness. Because remember, yep. this isn't like, um, you know, draft in Congress. This isn't, um, mm-hmm. I guess, even like an executive order because you can just like storm Biden's, um, you can storm the White House. Like this is the Supreme Court, right? So people right. have this, like, I think in like our American collective consciousness, there's like a, like a feeling of immovability of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you like, you can't really, I mean, I know people did go to the justices houses, right? Yeah. But yeah. You know, people, if you know anything about the Supreme court, you saw that and you were like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and I also, I also think that again, going on Isaac's point, people feel like they have to do something because it's not legislator, it's courts and they can't affect the courts. Uh, which is why when the ruling is out, okay, got to go to the Instagram stories, got to do something, got to go out protest. And actually one interesting thing was I was in DC when the decision was announced and almost immediately building started building, uh, building up their doors, covering their windows. They were ready for riots. None of that from what I saw actually happened. Um, all the protests from what I've seen were incredibly peaceful. And I think, I don't know, just given the, everything that's happened in the last two years on both sides, 
I think that I think yeah. that was like a b- big thing that uh, was not really covered by the media. Um, our, our friend George very encouraging. went to uh, outside of the Supreme Court when it was decided, and again, the same thing. He saw all the protests were peaceful. So that's very encouraging, honestly. Um, what do you guys yeah. think about? Um, because I know justices are not legislators, and they don't they do not right. answer exactly to the will of the people that's not their job but um yeah what do you guys think about people you know going up to the justices houses and writing letters and and doing stuff treating them as if they were answerable to the people pete i think i i I read some of your thoughts on this earlier today yeah Uh, so i think that's well, first off, you should never protest in from someone's house. I, regardless of what job they have, the house is not the right place. I guess with the exception of the White House, because that's also his office. If you want to go protest in their place of work, perfectly acceptable as long as it's peaceful. Have no problem with that. You have the right to do so. Outside your house, when you're doing, when you're interrupting their family, when you're uh, getting the way of their neighbors, and you're getting the into the way of the daily livelihood. That's when I think you start having problems. And you saw that when someone, th- thankfully, he turned himself in, but uh, was planning on assassinating uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, so I think anytime you go and pretty much try to go to the homes and into the personal lives of justices, or even any elected official or any person for that matter, uh, that's something that should be avoided and not necessarily encouraged. And I would like to see President Biden uh, denounce that. Um, as for just public influence on the Supreme Court. The, the fundamental reason we have a Supreme Court is to not listen to public opinion. And that, that sounds bad, but there's a reason for it. Democracy is not boundless. Democracy, the 51%, cannot do whatever they want. That's why, why we have the Constitution. That's why we have the Bill of Rights. Uh, there are police, they're, they're kept inside uh, guardrails of fundamental rights within the laws of the land and have to obey by that. And I think when you, when justices are influenced by public opinion, then they're succumbing to the ex- exact force that they're meant to hedge against. Courts in their very nature are anti-majoritarian and them succumbing to public opinion and mobs just seems antithetical to their very existence. Um, I think you make some great points um, as far as like, the home should be like a private kind of domain that that would be off limits to protesting. I I I think that makes a lot of sense. I um like like you said for any kind of um public figure. Um, what I what I will now you go you go. Uh, what I what I will say is I I think like I think it's definitely acceptable to to protest the Supreme Court's decisions or to be or to speak out against the Supreme Court's decisions. What I, where I do think people kind of got it wrong is, is they, a lot of the, the protests or a lot of what they said didn't seem to nearly be or didn't seem to quite be about the Supreme Court's decision on the constitutionality of abortion, just on whether or not they believe in abortion or like abortion. And, and that um, doesn't feel like the issue that was at hand. That's what would have bothered me is, is well, that like. You don't yeah. think the issue at hand was abortion in this in this well, game? Legally speaking, well, no, because in the original Roe v. Wade, the opinion says they were not answering on the question of pro-choice or pro-life or a question of viability. Um, and that was upheld in Parenthood, uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, and that was upheld through Dobbs. So as a legal sense, 
it's not in terms of abortion. Now, where that does come into play. But what, what, but what is a law other than its, its consequences, right? I mean, like, that's, that's what this is about, is what, it, what literally happens in the real world. I mean, not. Yeah, so exactly. So a lot of states had trigger laws, meaning exactly. that if Roe v. Wade uh, was, were to be overturned, like happened, then they had abortion bans that were previously unconstitutional that are now constitutional and go into effect. And I think that's where the protests would have been better effective targeted at going to state legislators and saying, no, reverse this law, reverse this, instead of protesting the courts, because you can overturn a decision, but it won't happen in the near future. And it's, it's, it's a body of government that is not designed to listen to the public. And there is a specific body of government that is designed to listen to the people. And in fact, the court said, you are the people who decide abortion. Elected officials at that as well. Um, Isaac, do you have anything to say? Um, yeah, I was going to say the the distinction between like the uh, taking issue with people, not not discussing like the legality and like whether uh, you know the Fourteenth Amendment is actually related should actually be backing the Roe v. Wade decision complaining that people are not focused on that, I think is not very practical. It's not very pragmatic because the fact of the matter is 91% of people are not, they're not wondering whether the 14th amendment applies to their abortion rights. They're wondering if they're going to be, they are going to be able to have an abortion in their state. Right. I mean, that, right. And that's, and that's what it ultimately affects. And, and I know like, for example, like, um, you know, I, I read that like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, even who was, you know, a champion for women's right. rights, then uh, commented on the dubiously, dubious legality of Roe v. Wade. Um, just to let you know, Ethan, there's 10 minutes left in the Zoom or Peter. So, so, so I, yeah, yeah. Not um, I guess we'll have to. But what I don't, yeah. what I don't like is when people. I don't want too much attention to be shifted to like the legal jargon of this decision because a it clouds what's actually the actual consequences of it, um, and b it's almost like a fake. I don't want to call it fake, obviously, because there's obviously a lot of um, it's important to talk about the it's important to talk about the law, but if I feel like if if the, if actors in the political in the American political system we're actually concerned about abortion rights, right? Then they would find a way, like perhaps they wouldn't, they wouldn't overturn this unless there was a law codified so women could still get abortions. Do you, like, do you know what I mean? It's like, well, you can talk about sure. how, you, how you, you know, this is a garbage law and you don't like the language of it all you want. But the fact of the matter is there is real, real consequences behind that language and unless you solidify um, abortion rights, then that garbage law is going to have a lot of, in my opinion, negative consequences. Sure, sure. I think, I think there's, I think there's sense in that. I mean, I, I guess I'm like, um, I think you're right about the fact that this, like, you know, while only the decision applies, obviously, only to like the te technical constitutionality. You know, this obviously is much more far-reaching than than just that decision is because it, like you said, brings into place real laws that affect real people that make actual um, differences in people's lives. Um, I, I I'm hesitant to say that that 
you know, the Supreme Court should have like held off to make sure that there was a law codified first because I'm I'm big big on the separation of powers. I I don't like the idea of the Supreme Court and the legislative working together. Um, I, I I do see where we're coming. Yeah, but, I, yeah I, I, I guess I guess that I guess that theoretical idea would be a, that would be disturbing the separation of powers. Yeah. Well, here's I guess here's a here's a question I'll pose to both of you. Um, regarding the same kind of like law philosophy is that if like, let's say there's a, a abortion aside, there's a law in this country that is really important. Like all three of us can agree. It's really important. Like something like the law okay. against stealing, right? Obviously important law. Yeah. But the way it was written was like legally speaking, like dog shit, right? Like it made, right. no, it made no sense based on like our constitution. Um, like the language was obscure. It was, um, could have been interpreted in any way. What do you think should be done? I mean, because it sounds to me like the like the uh, the wheels of the law should just rip it away and write a new one. Well, for something about stealing, I'd say that's constitutionally protected regardless of any law because it's deep deeply rooted in American tradition and in the Constitution that you have a right to property. I think. I'm going to interrupt you straight up. I think you're taking this a little bit too, like, literally, What when he mentioned stealing. Like, I, I think that was mostly an example. Like, yeah, yeah, try, but... try to really actually answer the question, Peter. Like, legitimately. Also, <laughs> also, we should get back to that deeply rooted in American traditions argument. Because that has been coming up. It comes a lot up. It comes up a lot with, I yeah. think, conservative judges. And I think I have some, I'm a little dubious of that. You, you have some, okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. But but first, Pete, maybe maybe try again. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, again, it that depends because people will say something that make that argument. Okay, so there's one satirical author at the Washington Post who wrote up that sorry, Brett Kavanaugh, you do not have a right to eat in peace. And what she meant by that is that uh, he was accosted by protesters okay. while yeah. eating at the steakhouse. Um, the whole point is, I read through the Constitution and there is no right to eat in there. Um, but again, I, I, the article was meant to be satirical, but it's it kind of ignores because if you look at the founders' intent, there's no way that they would ex- meant to exclude exclude the right to eat. That's why they had the Ninth Amendment, um, because the right to eat is deeply rooted in American tradition. Then it, you have a right to use that. Um, you you have a constitutional right to do that. Now, if you want to do something, um, say a right to drive the car. Here's where, here's where it gets a bit weird because do you have a, uh, is it deeply rooted in American tradition that you have a right to drive a car? Well, no, in the sense that cars did not exist back then. And then if you would have showed one of them a car or even tell them about it, that you, they wouldn't, they would have thought they were crazy. But do you have a right to travel? That you do. So that's where it becomes more ambigu- ambiguous when you start taking into account uh, technological advancements. Uh, what is what defines as deeply rooted American tradition and what is not? Um, if it, if it's if you t- take the assumption that a car is not rooted in American tradition or whatever the law is that is not rooted in American tradition, even if it's like a horrible law, poorly worded, I think the Supreme Court has a duty to uphold the law as it's written, and then I think the duty goes <clears throat> is returned to the legislators to fix their error. 
because otherwise what you get is the legislators just pushing off crappy laws to the Supreme Court because they know they can get away with it. Okay, I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I, it is, it's a tough question because obviously the idea of something that like is extremely important, like, you know, theft or whatever, for example, um, is, is like something that I don't like the idea of like, man, I, um, something that I, I don't like the idea of it being a spree, I guess, or whatever, whatever was on the books, off the books for, you know, however long it takes Congress to, to get their shit together. Um, not a comforting thought, but yeah, also, I, I mean, I mean, and this could just be your opinion, Peter, because I don't think there is a, a correct answer, but give a time, give like a year, a year amount for deeply rooted in American tradition. What is that? Is that, is that a hundred years? Is that 200 years? I take it at the time of the, uh, the founding, if they would have considered it to be a right. Because when they're writing it down, not the dangerous way to go. Because there are a lot of things different with our society now. Was there anything that would be considered like an intrinsic right that should uh, intrinsic right to them back then that would not be applied now? And I mean, right isn't an actual right to do something, not as in like a service or sure, sure, sure. Receive, yeah. Well, don't you think that logic could be used against expanding rights from who originally had it? Uh, in the beginning of the country i mean like it, you mind explaining a bit further sure i mean women's suffrage arguably not a long-standing american tradition yeah no you're completely right that's why there was an amendment to change the constitution so they could do that so they could that they could vote because there was no because the constitution referred only to men yes there were there, there was no deeply rooted american tradition for women voting therefore it was unconstitutional as bad as it was so that's, I guess the longest... that's why there was the 19th Amendment to correct that, because it was widely popular among Americans and the founders created the way to amend the Constitution because they knew that uh, the concept of rights would evolve as a country evolves. Yeah, so I guess the longstanding tradition is. I guess most are used in in the court system. Yeah, exactly. It, it's really only a legal doctrine because. The legislatures, as long as it abides by the Constitution, they can do uh, whatever whatever they want. Um, again, abiding within those rights granted. Um, but again, that's that's why the legislators were feared to be so dangerous that they could do uh, pretty much whatever they want, and that therefore it was court's job to rein their power in. I don't know. What do you, is there anything you guys want to say? How do we how do we start this? puppy up again you guys want to say anything about about Dobbs really quickly anything fun I feel like we I feel like we um we hashed that one out hash it out legally we didn't really talk about the consequences we can talk about abortion a bit yeah sure actually so we can just I guess touch on that because we do have a lot of other cases to talk yeah there are plenty of other cases to talk about um although I don't know if we'll have as much to say on any of those ones as we do Dobbs to be fair I guess right um, but, but yes, you're right. We do have a lot of other ones to get to. Um, yeah. I mean, as for abortion, I, I can't imagine that any of us are going to be like in radical disagreement. I'm pro-choice. Uh, Asma. Um, yeah. Same here personally. 
Although I think it should be left. To, I think states should be able to do what they want. Uh, but as a personal matter, I am pretty choice. But see, if you like, but you know for a fact that there are many states who won't let people have an abortion, right? Yeah. So I, I think that states should have the right to outlaw abortion. So I, you- I, I would oppose. So. Let me let me put it this way. I would oppose any federal legislation protecting abortion rights everywhere, but for my state or the state I lived in, I would support pro-choice uh, regulations. But I'm just kind of because I've actually heard that I've heard people with that same argument, or sorry, same opinion. And my question is: Are you can you really call yourself pro-choice if you don't mind other people in your same country being? totally denied access i mean not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not talking like you know after first trimester i mean there are states who are just totally life begins at conception uh sorry buddy you're having that baby yeah no, that's actually completely fair and I, I guess by that standard i don't really fit into any label um i don't know i, I like to humbly brag that uh my abortion take is one that pisses everyone off um yeah you would but... be right that is true <laughs> um but the thing is, when it comes to abortion, most people are somewhere in the middle. So the absolutely, yeah. The the I guess like the logically consistent take would either be one hundred percent pro life, no abortion since the point of conception, or I guess the other radical uh, but logically consistent take is uh, abortion all the way through nine months. Hmm. But most people are very in the middle. I think it's something like eighty percent have. So, uh, have abortion opinions somewhere in the middle that there is a cutoff date, but it should be somewhere in the middle. And again, logically, that's that's kind of hard to construe, but I guess that sums up the entire abortion uh, debate in general. Um, how I kind of see it is because most people are in the middle, I don't, I personally believe that it's not a life and therefore it's pro choice, but I understand people may disagree with me. And scientifically, I don't think I have a sound point to explain why uh, life should be protected at the point of birth. I have a personal moral choice, but I don't think that it's one that I can base on objective reasoning, and therefore I shouldn't persuade other states to do so. I think in order to have a a law or a code that covers the entire nation in order to coerce other states, even the state does not want to itself, then I need to have it based in some objective uh, reality. And I just don't see it, even though that's is what I personally believe. Well, but what, what do you mean? Like, I, I find it, you're looking for a scientific, you're almost looking for like scientific reasoning for what I see as like a purely moral. I mean, there is no, there is no answer to this that where you don't input your own values. Yeah, no, no, I agree. So. Because, because science because science can answer, for example, the question, you know, is a fetus alive at X weeks? Science can't answer that because there, there are certain, we have certain agreed upon traits to see if something is alive. But whether something is worthy of the rights that we afford full-grown human beings, that's, that's, I think that's out of the range of science, right? I mean, some things are certainly out of the range of science and in the range of our society's values. So when it, the, the problem with the abortion debate is determining what, not, not when does life begin, but when does the human life become, first become constitutionally protected? Yeah. Unfortunately, the Constitution provides nothing on that. But, so therefore, we have to go to a moral 
stance on what we personally believe. And the reason I'm pro-choice from a moral standpoint is because I think it's grounded in property rights more of anything. Uh, John Locke, uh, he was big on property. He first coined uh, life, liberty, and property. Um, but when he meant by property, he meant like by physical property, land, uh, belongings, that too. But what he first meant, what he said was your first property was your own autonomy, the right over oneself. Mm-hmm. And from that, even if you have something that will be human life growing inside of you, it's physically dependent on you in a way that nothing else is. And I guess to make a crude analogy, uh, I'd say it's like in a way trespassing. Of course, there's many problems with that analogy, but no. But, but in a sense, no one has a right to use your property. Now, does that mean you can kill them? I I think because the consequences are so little. Um, yes, I'm as as that that sounds morally bad but so, so you're a so you're like a big like it's life but you can kill it anyway type of guy yeah no exactly yeah 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 like uh <laughs> like well, yeah, no i mean that's that's the fundam that that's a fundamental argument of i think pro pro life is that or sorry pro choice excuse me yeah. is that whether it's life or not is actually not um important what's important is mm. it's violating somebody's bodily autonomy Exactly. Which I really like that. I really like that um that connection to Locke's property argument. And I actually didn't know that he like the core of that is your physical body. I really, I really like that. Yeah, I mean honestly that's what's grounded me in uh the pro-choice view more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um and the, the thing is people have pro-lifers uh have made compelling arguments saying, Oh, but what about someone who's connected on life support? What if uh, some, someone has a, uh, they're born, uh, I forget what was the term for it, but they're born before before they're supposed to and you kind of like incubate the baby. Sure. And that's where the gray area kind of starts. I say for the life support, you're dependent on something, but you're not dependent on someone's property. You're still paying for the bills and what such. You're not requiring on a physical body. And again, when you're, before you're born, or I guess like when, I, hmm, let me gather my thoughts when you're when when you're uh i forget the term what, what's it called when you're like born before do you guys know what i'm talking about when uh, you're fetus or when you're when you're like born before you're supposed to premature premature birth premature birth that's right um yeah, yeah so when you're born prematurely you can be grow to your full self without depending on a physical body and that's where it gets a bit into a gray area. So that's like the last couple of months when you're no longer dependent on a physical body and you can grow up to a full and healthy life. Now that goes into some more moral questions. So let's say someone who's seven and a half months months pregnant decides they want to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean you just force a premature birth or would it be better to abort the baby? Yeah. Or would it be better to make it carry out the term? That's That's where the gray area starts becoming even harder than it already is. Yeah, and I mean, and if you're talking about dependency um, as a major factor in this argument, then isn't really isn't a premature baby who was born a little too early, aren't they just as dependent on their mother as like a seven-month-year-old baby? I mean, human human infants are highly dependent on their mother. And if you want to look at this, this I guess isn't a popular perspective, but like in the animal kingdom, right? a lot of mammals, the mammals are the animal where the, the mother takes care of their child the longest, right? You have like reptiles where the turtles just like go and then 
they never see their mom again. They just like scurry into the water. And then other mammals, you know, they raise their kids for a few months, but then they're ready to go. Giraffes are like ready to go right out the womb. But humans need months and months before they're even close to being uh, self-sufficient. So the self-sufficiency argument doesn't really hold with me because if you want to make that argument, then like you're going to have to go to like a, a year and a half, right? Even probably more. Well, I mean, if you're taking that to the full extent, you could probably like use that to justify aborting like a four-year-old at that point. Well, what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about like a nurturing dependence. I'm talking about like a physical dependence on existence. You're attached and if you become detached, then you're pretty much dead. Uh, a newborn or even a premature birth, they're physically detached and they need nurturing. They need physical dependency right. at some point, but that doesn't necessarily need to come from the mother. That's why adoption is a thing. They just need someone or something in order to take care of them. It's not need to be sure. the mother. If they're detached, if they're separated from that specific property, that entity, then they die. If yeah. a mother uh, gives birth and then she adopts, uh, she decides to give the child away for adoption, the child needs dependency, but doesn't need the dependency on its own birth mother. And I think that's, that's the distinction. That's a fair distinction. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much there is to add. To be honest, I um, I know a lot of people like, uh, well, not maybe maybe not a lot of people. I know I know some people that make the point like, they're very they they leave it up to like an intellectual barrier almost. And I don't mean intellectual barriers as as um like you know multiplication tables or something like that. Sure, like, yeah. the brain develops um i think sometime in the middle of the second trimester or like in the beginning of the middle of the second trimester um yeah. of, of birth or of, of pregnancy and, and i i think that's like for a lot of people um or again not maybe not for a lot of people i don't i don't really know i know at least one person who who um would kind of base their argument on that um being kind of like a barrier for where your autonomy maybe starts or your personhood begins um but i mean to take this back actually a little while uh back to like whether or not states should should decide or whether or not the federal government should decide should decide or um or what it, i i think i think because there's just so it's such a difficult question to answer like you said um isaac there's no way to scientifically answer it it's it's up to moral arguments and and for that reason exactly i think it should be left up to the states. I'm a big like. I'm I'm a I'm a big exceptions for rape incest and and when it's going to kill the mother type of guy. Yeah. Which I know I know some states I some states I don't even think have clauses for that. Do they? Like I no. Think there's a couple that do not. Like I I would I would be very supportive of a, of a federal law at least saying like rape you know exceptions for rape incest and you know when the life of the mother's in in danger. That that's like a, a kind of like a bare minimum for me. Um, I'm personally obviously pro-choice. I'm happy to get rid of those those little fucking things. Um, just kidding. No, I'm, I'm, but no, I'm 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 happy. Even with the gentle touch. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to go to those little fucking leeches. Um, but but no, I, I because I think it it like you said, it's kind of unanswerable. Is exactly the reason why no um why it, it doesn't need to be nationally answered um I'm, I'm happy to let to let people in their respective states make make those decisions for themselves yeah so it's interesting bringing up the exceptions um because there are states there are states where there are no exceptions 
And I feel like that kind of ties into the mentality that you were using earlier in your argument, Peter, about how we should avoid federal legislation because, and I, if I understand your argument correctly, you were saying that to be logically consistent, we would either need to be on either of the polar ends, like abortion, whenever you want, however you want on one end. So I guess that would be the left end. And then the right end would be life at begins at conception, no abortions at all. Mm. And I just, I worry, I worry about that standpoint that you can only have one of the two ends or else, well, you just can't, right? Those are the only two logically consistent because that's what you get with that line of thinking. You get states where, you know, if a daughter is raped by her father, she has to carry despite being like, obviously the most vile thing that could ever happen to somebody. She would have to carry that because people have that mentality of, well, it can't be somewhere in the middle. So it's gotta be either end. Well, I think until there becomes either some undeniable scientific evidence or a national consensus on whether uh, fetuses are life or whether they're not constitutionally protected life, then you can't really do that. Because even in in a horrid and awful case as that, for someone who's pro-life, they still think they have a right to exist. They still think they're constitutionally protected life. And just because they are born out of a tragedy, they shouldn't be killed. Now, I disagree from that, but I think that if you're standing from a pro-life point, that even then that would be a violation from their viewpoint. I think the biggest problem of having any national legislation would be that would divide the people up too much, that there's not even consensus even on that ground. I think the the one area I would probably be willing to give is if it endangers the life of the mother, because then I think that the mother's life obviously takes precedent. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I again, I'm just worried about the federal government dividing, uh, getting getting to the areas where it should not be, and uh, imposing the will of some states on the will of other states who may not believe in the same. But, but like you said, the the vast majority they're not really splitting it up because the vast majority of Americans think that you should be able to have an abortion at least you know, a month into it, at least it's somewhere in the first term, or probably even, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say most Americans, their opinion falls somewhere in the second trimester. Um, so they're not, you, I, I just, I just, I just don't like the mentality of either or, because A, it doesn't line up with the opinions of most Americans. And then even if you want to take it from an anti-majoritarian perspective, which I know you're big on, um, I just think that's bad legislating, right? Is looking at either end and saying, well, we have to do one or the other. I mean, like, I'll just, just one, one example, not example, an instance of this is I was watching um, a, a video of, of a, um, a talk given by a pro-life activist. And she said, so this, so, and the, the person um, had a question, the student had a question was like, well, why are you in a, how are you an authority on the topic? Like just wondering, you know, are you a doctor? Are you an OBGYN? Are you a biologist? And her answer was, well, actually you don't need to be an authority uh, in, in terms of expertise on the subject because abortion is a black and white issue, right? It's either life or it's not. And I think out of this entire argument, the entire abortion argument, that is the only stance that I, that I cannot stand. 
is that it's 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 black and white and there's no there's no middle ground right there's no compromises is that this issue is either you're right or you're wrong i i i can't support that yeah no i mean i agree with you i mean that's why but yeah so i pointed out the numerous gray areas because of that but if you're being logically consistent then it kind of turns into a black and white issue and it's for that reason what is logically consistent about choosing either end of a very vast spectrum you know right let's let's say you choose a like 15 weeks what changes between 14 uh 14 week or 14 weeks six days and 23 hours and that additional hour well i'll I'll tell you what all right yeah there doesn't need to be that's the answer i'll just similar an unsimilar, but also kind of a similar, similar point. What's the point of designating 21 as a, the federally legal drinking age? What's wrong with 21 and a half? Nothing What's to wrong? disagree with it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, true. Me too, actually. So maybe it's a bad example, but you know what I mean? I mean, take like something like tax brackets, right? Why are they, you know, X dollars? Why isn't it like X plus $1? It's, it is arbitrary, but yeah, no, no. You're completely right. You're pointing out one of the reasons why I hate the majority of laws because they're inconsistent. But the reason they are laws is because they have a very, they have a pretty much a national consensus. They have a popular mandate to get it done. And that's when I think that abortion can be uh, nationally passed. If there's enough support across the country in order to pass something at the federal level that can be passed for abortion, then I think they'd be willing to do it. But the fact that they have not been able to do so so far, that the Senate's been unable to do so, I think that, that shows that there is no consensus. And maybe maybe part of that is just bad part of leadership. Um, I know two Republicans, Collins and Murkowski, were willing to negotiate to get uh, some level of uh, abortion protection done, um, but Schumer turned that down. Um, so again, that that's where it becomes pretty much a game of politics. But the problem is if you try and answer a pro-life or pro-choice question at the federal government level when there's no national consensus, that's when you create problems within the United States. Wait, I think, what if, what if there was? What if there was a public mandate to create an amendment? Would you support do you think it would you think it would be a good idea for the federal government to create an amendment that would force every state to allow at least at least some level, at least some level? Of I mean, I'll, 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 if, if we're talking about, so there's a difference between amendment and legislature. So if we're talking about amendment, yeah. I'd be willing to go full amendments, say that because of the Lockean theory of property, that yeah. abortion should be legal through however, until like the seven and a half month gray area at the minimum. But when it comes to the legislature, I just believe states should be able to do what they want because mandating a pro-life choice, setting a pro-choice mandate on a pro-life state, uh, on a pro-life state, uh, would really do damage institutionally to that state. I think states should be able to do their own thing. But I think what we're seeing is, especially now where transportation has become so much easier, that state boundaries, state lines are not as uh, as solid as they used to be. I mean, I'm me and Ethan talk about this. You may have heard it too. What a lot of companies are doing is they're sending uh, employees if they want abortions out of state to a pro-choice state to get an abortion. Um, And it's better for them economically too, because uh, they end up saving money on uh, maternity costs, ironically. But I still think if the state believes uh, that life begins at conception, then it's bad for the federal government to impose that, especially when it's you're involved of taking, when you're saying something is not human protected uh, constitutional life. But don't you think that reasoning could be 
um, harmful, I guess you could say, when, because we have had instances in our country's history where states didn't want to do something and a federal law said, no, you have to do it. And then, you know, let's say, you know, for example, hypothetically, troops were sent in to segregate a elementary school, you know, hypothetically. Yeah, well, first off, that was that, that was law for multiple uh, instances. First, that was Brown v. Board of the Education. I know, well, that's what I mean. I mean, in that instance, you have a state not wanting to do something enforced by the federal government. Yeah, so, so that, that would be state nullification. That, that was, in that case, the state said, no, we reject the law. And that, that was a constitutional theory that was thrown out um, on the dawn of Andrew Jackson's presidency. I don't, I don't believe in state nullification. I don't believe a state can say, no, actually, our authority uh, – is bigger and holds precedent over federal authority. That's something I reject entirely. I'm my my point is more on the. But you, but you, you just said you wouldn't want the uh, United States federal government to impose a law on a state with when its populace didn't want that. Yeah, sometimes, but, sometimes that needs to happen. Yeah, but uh, so again, the difference is whether where where that comes from. If it's coming from legislature, then. I think that's different if it's coming from Supreme Court because the Supreme Court leads from legal doctrine and therefore it's counter-majoritarian and therefore it doesn't matter what the state itself says. But was the Supreme Court not, the Supreme Court was, weren't they acting on federal legislation? Yes, but they were protecting the federal legislation. If something is law, then it's the law of the land. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. The federal law, of course, takes precedent over state law. But there was a mandate in Congress in order to make the civil rights law uh, and that's why the Eisenhower set the sent, sent the National Guard in. If there's no federal law, then there's no over, uh, oversight of the, over the uh, state laws. Yeah, I guess I was just trying to figure out your the relationship, how much you value the opinions of the state's populace versus the federal mandate. Um, because I think that no, it, it depends on the mandate. Then, how what, what is the length of the mandate? If it's become if it's great enough to become federal law, then it's, then it's federal law. If it's not big enough to become federal law, which right now it seems like it is, then it's not the law of the land, and therefore states have the right to do what they want. Yeah. My last question, and then we can go into the last, or we can go into the next. Um, and last, it feels like we're going to the last because we've been on this one. Oh, we're just getting started. We have, last, we have 10 minutes left again, by the way. Oh, God. Well, well I'll create a new one after this question. Yeah, yeah, isn't, yeah. Isn't an amendment, creating a new amendment, by extension, legislative? Because what you need for that is our, le- that's all you need, right? It's not like you need the executive or the judicial branch. You only need units of the legislative branch, right? You need state legislatures and the House and the Senate. So, so my question is like, would you really consider those two separate things? Yes, because it's more, it's a more for, for middle, formidable uh, legislative pass, uh, pass. You need a lot of support. You need a supermajority support in order to physically change the constitution. It's different when it comes to federal law, which can be reversed. Um, and I think that actually goes to part of the problem with having federal law. If you create a constitution, a constitutional amendment, then there's going to be really hard to strike that amendment down unless there's a lot of reversal and support. Yeah. What I'm worried about now is there's federal law, and you'll see kind of like a uh, grandfather clock swing back and forth um, between protecting abortion rights and not protecting abortion rights. And 
even if you see something as simple as very easy, very, very uh, loose uh, abortion protections, um, but let's say you do a, uh, a carve out, a carve out of the filibuster in order to make that happen, then the next time Republicans take Congress, they can do a filibuster, a filibuster carve out in order to take those restrictions away well, okay, and yeah. have, have permanent uh, abortion bans and it just swings back and forth and becomes more extreme and kind of snowballs. On that topic, are you guys a little bit worried about, um, I mean, this midterm election is looking like uh, Republicans could actually. La, 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 plugging my ears when you're talking about the midterms. Um, do you, if, if, if the Republicans do like take the majority of Congress, are you guys worried that they're going to try to put in place like some pretty serious abortion restrictions? Absolutely. I am on the federal level. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried too. I am not worried in the slightest. And here's why. <laughs> Peter, are you serious? I, I am dead serious. And here's why. So. Off, according to parliamentary yeah, he's gonna have um, protest outside his house after this episode yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so according to parliamentary uh any any vote uh, or any abortion uh law will need to happen we'll need 60 votes to surpass the filibuster because Yes, you don't need 50 votes because it's not going to happen through reconciliation the parliament um parliamentarian already ruled that is not going to be allowed uh, now there's the possibility that Republicans strike down the filibuster and do what pretty much Democrats wanted to pressure uh, Senate Democrats and B Manchin Cinema to do. I don't think that's going to happen for multiple reasons, um, both of them relating to Mitch McConnell. Trump really so many times. So part of the reason Trump is furious with McConnell now more than ever, and he was back when he was president, was because he pressured McConnell so many times to take down the filibuster, and McConnell did not do it. And McConnell wanted to do it. I, I, okay, he didn't want to do it, but he realized he would have seen the advantages to doing that. You know, where they they controlled the House, they controlled the Senate, they controlled the White House, they'd be able to pass pretty much whatever they wanted. But McConnell, and he's done this time and time again ever since he was he's been Senate Majority Leader. He's when he's in the majority, he's always planning about what happens when they switch into the minority, because eventually the Republicans or whoever's in the majority party will eventually fall back into the minority party, and that's why he didn't do the uh, carve out the filibuster um, when Trump was president and they were in the majority. And that's why I don't see why they're going to do it now, because once you do a carve out even for one little thing, then it becomes possible to do a carve out for that one little thing when they're in the minority. And for McConnell, he seems a lot more formidable uh, policy agendas ahead that abortion simply is not on. What he sees right now is exactly what he wanted to do was reverse Roe v. Wade, which is why he had the big thing on the Supreme Court justices. Now it's up to state. And he sees the next battle. He's pro-life, but he sees the next battle taking place in the states. And that's what he's already gearing up towards. He has no interest in bringing that to the federal level because then he can lose uh, the right of states to make their own abortion law that he just created, that he fought really hard for for years in order to get uh, done at the Supreme Court. Um, I also think, like, and we talked about how, yeah, it's probably going to be a Republican majority, um, but like we've talked about, most people fall more in the middle than, you know, on either, like, you know, definite and black and white um, perspective on this. Uh, like, for example, your governor, Peter, 
is Republican and probably be considered pretty conservative, but he's going to allow, what, 15 weeks, right? 15 weeks, and so is DeSantis, and a lot of governors are doing this too. Yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be honestly um, pretty surprised if there were really that many like fully pro-life um, Republicans in Congress, um, like by, by the end of this thing. Like, or I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot. I'd be surprised if there were truly enough to like get legitimate, really restrictive legislation but passed. Is, is that that you believe, do you believe that not a lot of Republican senators and House of Representative members are personally pro-life? Or do you believe that they wouldn't like jump on the bandwagon and fall into line like they do for every other issue with their leadership? Because I think what I'm worried about. I'm, I'm not, I'm past worrying about what Republicans actually think on the inside. I'm far more worried that they would fall into line with their leadership like they've done with literally every other issue in the last like 10 years. That's example number one is just Donald Trump in general. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. I think most of them would probably fall in the line, but I think there's enough of them who also resisted Trump who would not fall in line. Uh, Susan Collins and Murkowski, who already was willing to talk to Schumer about some abortion uh, protections. Um, Romney, I could also see him making uh, some carve out, although he is pro-life, so I'm not sure to the extent he'd do that. But there are, I think there are a, enough Republicans in there to withhold, uh, certainly carving out the filibuster, but if not that, uh, then certainly an abortion ban. The only way I could really see an abortion ban coming to effect is if the Republicans gain it would have to be something like 64 seats in the Senate, which would pretty much be, you know, I don't think it's that bad for Democrats, especially with the candidates Republicans are running in a lot of states. Yeah. Especially with the what Republicans? The types of candidates uh, Republicans are running in their state. Um, not to disparage anyone, but I don't really think as uh, Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker as, you know, great candidates or Blake think, Masters. I think, that is. Christ. I think, I think David French uh, generously called them... Um, um, oh, what's the what's the word? Um, never mind. Never mind. I don't even remember the word. <laughs> Academics would describe them describe them as stupid. Um, <laughs> Academics would describe them as stupid. Yeah, yeah. You guys hear Condoleezza Rice is like owns a football team now. Isn't she like really Denver Broncos? Yeah, yes. the Broncos. I think she's like a minority owner in that. Yeah. No way. I had no idea. Man, I did not hear about that. That's crazy. That is crazy. Uh, okay, the one thing else I'm gonna say before I get back and do it, and you can I don't know, I don't know if you want to include this because it is semi-politics related, but did you guys, I guess for the casual viewer, um, so yeah. Jordan Peterson famous clinical psychologist slash I guess like warrior against social justice I guess you could say um made a pretty big splash because he just got banned off of Twitter for misgendering somebody and he made this like 15 minute um uh like video disparaging Twitter for the did you guys see this I did not see that I saw I saw him get banned I saw um, I saw the tweet that he made that got him banned. Yeah. Um, I did not see his rant about Twitter. Um, you you guys need to. It is actually like so. He, basically, he breaks down the tweet and like what he he, he defends his tweet essentially. 
Fair. But she just like it's like a he he it's just a it's a he he just rips apart Twitter for it. Um, but Fair. he's so fantastic, and it's just kind of it's kind of funny. I didn't I'll, see that I'll, one. I'll have to check, I'll it, check out. it out. Yeah, I'll check it out. I, 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 I saw he. I saw he joined Daily Wire too. Um, I saw that too. And I'll have to check out the video because I mean, I'm not really for like banning people off Twitter. I mean, if they're like you know like Nazis or post like hateful stuff and that, sure. but I think something like misgendering, like whether you should or shouldn't, is a different question. But should Twitter do it? I would say no. But then again, they're a private company. Um, but I thought you were going to reference. Uh, he just came, said today that. Uh, he said Russia is justified in attacking Ukraine because oh the U.S. has become Whoa. degenerate. Oh my! And, Lord. and his reasoning for why the U.S. is degenerate was because Biden appointed uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson because of race and gender, and she couldn't even answer what is a woman. So, uh, holy Lord. shit! Did he actually? That's crazy. He justified. I, I'm sorry. I believe you, but I just want to like look this up real quick. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was never really a Jordan Peterson fan, but with that oh, loss, any respect. Jordan, Jordan Peterson, I never listened to. I, I know friends who listen to him. He used to be, like, not nearly as much, like, what he is now. I feel like this year, oh. he's, like, taking a big turn into, like, radically opposing wokeism to the point of, like, I don't know, being Michael Tracy, I guess. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, uh, he he is significantly at least you know because we don't know what he was you know off camera, but his public appearances have become considerably more unhinged. Yeah, uh, more or less about because you know he is he is he originally became famous because he wrote a book, Twelve Rules for Life, which is essentially a self help book. Right, and he's a clinical psychologist, so a lot of his public stuff, although it was obviously a lot of anti wokeism. But right. it was also a lot of his like findings in psychology. He's he's like published all of his um, all of his lectures. But now like he's he joined the Daily Wire. Like yeah, I mean I mean talk about contrarian. I feel like he's just taken it to a level of like like I need to be like radically opposed to everything that is in like mainstream view in order to prove like I don't know some point about wokeism and and free speech rights or something like that. Um, it is a little bit, yeah, a little, little bit past where I am, I think. But Yeah, I remember first questioning him and not really liking him. It had to be like three or four years ago. But he said, uh, Donald Trump must have a very high IQ. And I was like, oh, no, never mind. He literally must. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's not poggers. That's not. <laughs> not poggers. Um, yeah. <sighs> Peter, is it this video Russia versus Ukraine or civil war in the West? Is that what you're referring to? I didn't see the name of the video. I just saw someone put a thread of it, that uh, snippet on Twitter. So I watched that earlier and I was just like, Jesus Christ, you can't be serious. Because he, because he, he is constantly um, railing on authoritarianism. That's like his thing. Yeah, like, yeah. He, yeah. He thinks that the left is authoritarian and yet, okay, so he's not, okay. So he's not a serious person. Well, even not, even, not, even not if anymore. you buy his premise, and it's a very hard premise to buy, one that, you know, you have to do a lot of things to buy. But let's say you buy into it, that America is degenerate, and therefore Russia has a moral <laughs> obligation. Why, why attack Ukraine then? What did Ukraine, like, or is he saying, like, Ukraine's degenerate? Like, didn't they... 
Ukraine, U.S. is, de- is degenerate, therefore attack Ukraine. Yeah, Russia has a moral imperative to bomb schools and with, and with the children inside because President Biden is woke. That that makes sense. It's all because Katanji Brown Jackson didn't know what a woman is, you know? Those that's children are nearly like sacrifices in a broader like movement. All right, maybe cut that part out, Ethan. Uh, <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah, Peter, very funny. Um, this is uh, after the fact. I'm just editing the, the podcast now, and um, I just finished editing it. This is the end of the first half, um, which I guess consists just about entirely of um, of the Dobbs case. Um Next next podcast when I when I get a chance to edit it it will contain a lot of the other cases uh, that the Supreme Court has had. Um, I hope this conversation has been very interesting. I just wanted to give a brief um, ending because because it ends on a bit of an abrupt note. Because uh, obviously I'm just cutting it in half because we talked for so long. But yeah, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna end end the podcast here. Look forward for the next for the next one, um, and I'll catch you guys in the next episode.